Hello and welcome to Bend the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt, the Bud Knight. And I am Sir Jimmy of House Nuts, and uh, we, we, we got some cool stuff coming at you today. But, man, I got to ask you, how are you feeling after Thanksgiving? Wow, man, too many Thanksgiving dinners, okay? We did one Wednesday night, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And then, of course, you know, eating leftovers today. Uh, yeah, I feel like I, you know... I don't know. I don't know how much sodium I took in over the past few days, but I know it was more than any human should. A whole lot of salt. And as I looked upon the feast, the multiple feasts that I had over the weekend, uh, I just kept thinking about how George would describe every piece of the meal in vivid oh, yeah. detail for us. And uh, it really inspired me to, uh, to get fired up about today and then to, to talk some yeah. more Song of Ice and Fire. Because every time I see a feast, I just think Game of Thrones. Right. It was not a feast for crows, uh, unfortunately. But uh, um, so what do you uh, what's your go to Thanksgiving? You know, what's your if, if they have if they, everything's there, what's your plate look like? What's My your plate. round one round one plate look like? All right. Well, we're going to get some bird. You know, if it, the turkey's there, I'm getting I know, you know, turkey right. takes a bad rap. T turkey actually is a lot like a feast for crows. I think it's unjustly criticized quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so I'm getting some dark meat turkey. Um, you know, if there's any other protein, I'm slamming that on my plate because we got to stay on the gains train. You know what I'm saying? So uh, and then I'll load up with some some good energy producing coma inducing carbs. Uh, I mm -hmm. like a little homemade noodles. My mom does a really uh, good homemade oh, noodle batch. Yeah. Really good. And then uh, my wife has a phenomenal recipe for macaroni salad uh, that is really just sugar and butter at the end of mm -hmm. the day. Uh, so, you know, I'm doing those. And then of course I'm doing some gravy over the whole thing and mashed potatoes, like a glutton and uh, just a lot of carbs really is what it comes down to. What about you? Yeah. You know, um, for me really, it's obviously Turkey and I'm fine with white meat too. You know, I think I like that blend. You get a little bit of dark and then you get like one big slab of the, of the white meat. Yeah. Uh, you gotta have a roll. You gotta have one of those. You gotta, gotta have, have some one, yeast. You gotta have one of those rolls. I feel like I'm. Le I if everything is there, then that means you could have like baked mac and cheese, or you could have Ooh. like yams, sweet potatoes. I feel like I skipped ma regular old mashed potatoes this year. Maybe some, you know, you get some like corn. So people have, you know. Uh, sort of baked right and then yeah. of course you got and then of course the real star of the show when it comes to thanksgiving the real star of the show is stuffing i mean let's let's, let's not act like there's <laughs> let's not act like it's stuffing and gravy okay and everything else is built around i know it's supposed to be about the turkey but it's not okay that's it's right the, the, the stuffing, stuffing holds it together right you know uh, i mean it's like how matt smith you know, was he's like the turkey of House of the Dragon. Oh, this is the main attraction. But then you get there and you're like, I don't know, man. Patty Constantine kind of stole the show this season, right? He, he was the so uh, stuffing. So he's the stuffing. <laughs> I love it. And, the, and then you got the gravy there too. So, yeah. And then for dessert, you know, I feel like there's a lot of apple pie this year. And I, mm. I'm not super big into apple pie. I mean, it's okay. Don't get me wrong. People do it and it can be and it can be good pumpkin pie always kind of like it just is what it is i'm not really super into uh in into pumpkin pie so i actually went a little lighter on the sweets this year all right all right saving it up for the christmas cookies i respect that oh yeah definitely my uh my wife and my mother-in-law make homemade uh pumpkin pies and they are fantastic they have spoiled yeah. me um I don't really like many other pumpkin pies now. <laughs> I always feel rude if I go to someone else's house and I'm like, like I have 17 pies and I'm like, I'm not going to eat any of them. I will say Costco pumpkin pie. So if you if you have to buy store bought, it's like Costco's is not, it's not even close. Walmart, okay. Kroger, Fred Meyer, you know, depending on, you know, your region, uh, it's Costco and it's not even close. All right. I might have to check that out. I, I, uh, I have a Costco here, but I never go though. I've heard the hot dog deals. Great. It is. Um, I guess I'll have to check out the pumpkin pie as well. If, oh, yeah. It's if, huge, too. If you could invite one person from season one of House of the Dragon, and I mean the character, not the actor right. or actress, the character to your Thanksgiving, who would it be? 
Wow, let me think about that for a quick second. You go ahead if you've got yours, and let me let me just. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! You can't just deflect. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, Harwin Strong seemed like he'd be a pretty cool dude to party with. Uh, I mean, I know obviously his end doesn't uh, go down that way. It would definitely not be Amond. That would just like I, he would he would be like he would be actually probably last on my. <laughs> On my list of people I'd wanna I wanna party with. I mean, Rhaenyra and Damon are in there. Yeah, I don't know. Kristen Cole might be. He might be like a, a decent party guest. You until think? He, he... Until he, and I mean, especially because it's like, hey, I got this uncle that's really loud. And then the next thing you know, you look over and his head's bashed in. So I mean, it'd make an interest. It'd make an interesting Thanksgiving. You know, for me, I think I'm inviting Laris. I think I'm inviting yeah. Laris, and it's a sandals only party. And wow. And you know he could take care of your pesky your pesky relatives. You don't want to see anymore. He'd be like, I'm not really so much interested in a turkey leg as much <laughs> as I am a turkey foot. So <laughs> yeah, we gotta play to our we gotta play to our core audience. You know, we're yeah. a, we're a Laris first type of show. Absolutely. <laughs> oh so man, so good. Well, I hope you guys had a good thanksgiving and uh we got a fun one here today uh raven this was sent uh looks like let me see here it was sent august 23rd so right as sort of house of the dragon is beginning to start and again we get sl got slammed with email so i'm trying to go back and catch catch up on some of these uh so and i just sort of skimmed the beginning haven't read the whole thing but it looks really good so this is from tom laurie johnston it looks like saying, do the Starks have Targaryen ancestors? Is the Night King a Targaryen? Says, I'm a new Game of Thrones fan. I first binged the series on HBO Max last spring, and this summer I read the entire book series. That being said, my evidence is from the TV series and the first episode of Hot D, a.k.a. House of the Dragon. I have heard the theories about the Night King being a Stark, and I've come up with a theory of my own. First, do the Starks have Targaryen ancestors? The only piece of evidence I have for this comes from the premiere of House of the Dragon. Rickon Stark pledges his fealty to Princess Rhaenyra with a full head of blonde silver hair. That immediately caught my attention because Jon Snow is half Stark, half Targaryen, but he had dark hair and brown eyes. Is the Night King a Targaryen, not a Stark? Again, my evidence comes from the TV show. The Night King seems... Very knowledgeable of dragons. He knows how to, uh, he, he knows how to like use them, right? Uh, he can resurrect them and he's able to fly them. Of course, he may be able to fully control every being that he turns, but I thought that only Targaryens had the ability to touch and fly a dragon on their own. I haven't had the time to sift through the books to look up any other additional evidence. If you guys have any further information, knowledge, or uh, about supporting debunking the theory i'd love to hear it finally i want to thank you for producing a podcast about a song of ice and fire that is intelligent and thoughtful but still fun to listen to i've listened to other shows only to be disappointed by inappropriate language the host laughing at their own jokes throughout the show your presentation of content has a nice balance of personal conversation that transitions into content seamlessly thank you for all you do Lori johnston well thank you Lori. um i hope uh the laris <laughs> Turkey feet jokes work well, every once in a while, you know, it's a holiday. <laughs> yeah. You gotta, you gotta, you know, unbutton the top button every now and then little, mm -hmm. little cheese mill hang out there. Um, wow. What a, what a, first off, what a well-written Raven. And also awesome to hear that you dove into the books after binging the series. I love hearing that. And, you know, we're going to be covering book stuff here. Uh, obviously we, we go kind of, we're fluid, you know, we, we kind of go back and forth between the two, obviously focusing a lot on house, of the dragon, because it's uh, still very relevant and still fresh in our minds, but always love to hear show watchers diving into the books. And hopefully that's a gateway for you to, uh, you know, to continue to relive this series with us uh, here on the podcast. So thanks for sending that in. Matt, Matt what do you make of this Raven? Uh, well, I, first of all, I would say that this is a sort of show theory, right? Yes. Because it's always good to point out, point out the, the character of the Night King, who I find incredibly interesting in both the show and the theory or idea of one existing in the books. And actually, I think you could make an argument that um, the one the the character in the books that, you know, is this sort of inspired off of or whatever. We believe definitely has some stark 
ancestry, but then, of course, could also uh, have some Targaryen lineage. But let's start with the show. So the show, we see a character who becomes the Night King, right? Yes. He's there, and the children of the forest turn him into, into one. There's nothing saying that that person, we don't really know anything about that person, to be honest, which is incredibly interesting, really. Uh, we see this just human become the the big bad villain of Game of Thrones. Like, kind of wild that they never gave us any backstory to that person. Yeah, I think it's kind of assumed that it's one of the first men. Uh, if you look at the Game of Thrones wiki for the television show, it actually says that mm -hmm. it's one of the first men. But it's been a while since I've seen the episode wherever they kind of reveal these things. So I'm not positive that it's actually like 100% said that it is one of the first men. But even then... Uh, you know, books or show, we know that they talk about the Starks coming from the first men. Um, and, you know, obviously there's wildlings that also reference it. I think it's between John and Ygritte, um, whenever they're talking about it. Um, basically saying, John saying, my father was Ned Stark. I have blood of the first men. My ancestors lived here, same as yours. And Ygritte says, so why are you fighting us? Which is, you know, mm -hmm. definitely great. Uh, a great back and forth between them. So I think it is assumed that it is one of the first men, but would not rule out a possible tie back to the Starks. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think you could also somehow make an argument if you really wanted it to, that it may not necessarily be a Targaryen, but could be somebody from, could be Valyrian blood. We, we do know that the Valyrians flew over here. Right. And that Dragonstone is a long established before the doom um, stronghold for the Targaryens. So in theory, uh, possibly, you know, you have to if you go all the way back to like the first men, well, you know, it doesn't give us an exact date, but we know that there was a, a bridge of land called the arm. Right. That breaks. Yep. If you really go back and read World of Ice and Fire. It's incredibly vague. And I. You know, Ezra and I have, have broke it down so many times, and it's honestly one of the most confusing parts of World of Ice and Fire is the first few chapters, because just the way it sort of tells you everything is happening, you're like, wait, what's going on again? And it's like this huge span of time. Um, I mean, it's almost like the only thing I can sort of compare it to that some people might be familiar with is kind of in a way like the Bible, how it's just like the first few books of the bible is this insane amount of time and yeah. it's like wait hold on how is all of this happening it's just it's kind of similar um or even like our own history it's kind of crazy to think about when you sort of think about like egypt and all this stuff and like three thousand years later it's like here we are it's crazy really to sort of or the bronze age collapse right like yeah no one really you know there's theories about what happened but like we don't know what happened and the details are very sparing and it happened over a long period of time and, you know, it might only take a few pages to kind of get over it, but it's actually a very long right. time. And it feels it's crazy. That's one of the reasons why the World of Ice and Fire book is so phenomenal. I mean, it's so, good. it's so fun to speculate on and dive back into and, and really think about, you know, how many centuries prior all this stuff mm -hmm. went down and the Andals yeah. and thousands of years, even crazy. I mean, they landed in the veil and then they dominated the continent. It's crazy. Right. Yeah, it's kind of easy to sort of put things in perspective once Aegon comes over, mm -hmm. because just kind of like in our world, right, however there's, you know, BC and then AD or CE, depending on how, how you want to, you know, look at it. It's like, wow, it's really easy to sort of view our context in this span of like, you know, 2022 years, right? And then everything yeah. that's BC is like, okay, well, that's like getting kind of old and hard to sort of imagine. Uh, so... In that book, however, in the World of Ice and Fire book, it does talk about that. The, it just when it first starts to mention Dragonstone, it mentions that it's just a long time stronghold for the uh, Targaryens. So we have no idea exactly how long they have been in in Westeros, mm -hmm. how long they how long they've they've been flying over here or other Valyrians. So there is totally nothing to say that that person the show version of the night king yes. could not have targaryen blood yeah hard hard to disprove um you know how likely is it so i guess it's up to your imagination right because it's this right. is probably not something that will ever be answered i would say in the show like we're never going to get like an episode where they just tell us that um no Maybe, maybe uh, subtle clues and breadcrumbs along the way but i don't think that it'll ever be a definitive answer for it um i think the idea of 
a Stark having some sort of lineage back to this would make a lot of sense, especially because the first men, you know, tried to fight off the Andals and like they went north. Like even the region would make sense in, in this regard if it is a first men, in fact, that uh, w- that we saw in the show. And we're obviously we're speaking strictly of the show here. Um, so I do think it's it's pretty interesting as far as like, you know, Starks and Targaryens and intermingling. I, I know that they're supposedly, as far as we know, have never been two of them. They've never produced a child until Jon Snow. Jon Snow is the first right. child coming up from those two families. And uh, which I think is probably likely like that's probably very likely that that was the first child of those two prominent families. And I think that's actually one of the more important pieces of Jon's story. But in the show, who knows? <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's sort of the so that's sort of the first um, part of their you know question. So they says do do the Starks and Targaryen have do the Starks have Targaryen ancestors? So I would certainly say there's probably down the line. Unfortunately, the the Targaryen line is actually the easiest to follow because mm-hmm. it's like really the only one that exists. A lot of other ones. I mean, heck, we don't even know sometimes who Old Nan speaks of a Bran. And we don't even know which brand she's speaking of sometimes, right? So it's sort of hard to it's sort of hard to uh to piece some of these other families together. But certainly I would say, you know, the Targaryens mostly, I guess, breed, if that's the word you want to use it, well, <laughs> one with themselves. Uh, and then two, it's like House Baratheon and House Valerion are the two mm. really sort of most prominent houses that they have. Uh, significant ties significant ties with so you'd really have to then begin to try to drive down like okay well there's probably some baratheons along the way that either married starks or married into another family but none that immediately just you know come up and in my mind in theory um if robert and liana had been married you know, because Robert has a lot of Targaryen blood in him, then that could have been a Stark with some good. Ones. So there's definitely a lot of um, speculation, you know, speculation as as to, as to that. So depends on how far you want to go out on the branch, I think. But as far as yeah, like but- prominent Stark and Targaryen, like I I don't I don't think that it's ever happened. I don't think it's even alluded to in the show. But again, like a lot of that stuff's murky in the show and the books. were. I I would say I would be pretty confident to say as far as we know what we have that um, that a prominent Targaryen and Stark did not have some sort of relationship until Rhaegar and Lyanna. Uh, That is, you know, obviously a pretty pivotal point. But in the show, they, they could mess with that if they wanted to, especially now that they're going backwards in time. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting. I think it would be a, especially since they didn't necessarily, you know, the show, they could, yeah, they could totally change it. Um, and we'll get to the, I want to talk a little bit about the book idea of the Night King uh, here too, because I think it's just a fun topic because it is totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, they could, they could go back and, and sort of, and sort of change it to make that person be a Targaryen, which I think would be fun and add some reasoning as to, why that person may end up becoming more powerful in, you know, than, than what we, than how they, how they are, but maybe not just sort of leaf and the children's magic, you know, sort of turn this thing, you know, as how did they create something that sort of became out of their control? Right. Yeah. Did it just amplify that person's say historical power? Right. Could it, you know, what if they had done that to say, let's just uh, a gray joy would that person have turned maybe into not like some sort of ice creature like the Starks and maybe some sort of like water creature, you know, or something, or if they had done it to a Targaryen, would they had more like fire properties? You know, we don't, we don't really know, but it's certainly something kind of cool and interesting uh, and interesting to think about. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, that that's pretty wide open for speculation and, and there's a lot of fun to be had with those, with those theories. Yeah. Okay. So now let me pull up the Knights King, and this may kind of go a little bit off the off of that original theory, but I think we kind of kind of already covered a, a quite a bit of it. So I think we're both in line that the show could go in whatever they way, route they want, but maybe not so much, right? Uh, mm-hmm. it, that it could be a 
a a Stark Targaryen. So this is where things get a little interesting, right? So you have the in the books. I think it's just sort of important to point this out, especially for people who haven't. Maybe you haven't read the books. Maybe you're just people who've only watched watched the the show, and you're wondering where is the Night's King in the in the book. So there is no actual Night King in the book. Not like we see in the show. There are others, aka White Walkers, but we don't have a definitive sort of leader for them or a one central figure like we do in the show. A lot of people think that it could actually end up being Euron Greyjoy is going to be sort of the leader of this army of creatures uh, since he's seeming more and more if you really dive into it and we haven't gotten winds of winter yet but it seems like they're that george is ultimately setting up euron Greyjoy to be sort of the 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 big bad final villain apocalyptic villain in in the series he himself is way different <laughs> in the <laughs> books than the show they're not even the same in the show he's just sort of this this like pirate i mean that's he, kind of it he's really a placeholder antagonist to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. In the books, Euron is into like dark, dark magic. And <laughs> like, and he, you know, he's called like Euron Crow's Eye. And he, there's so, he has so many sort of ties to like the three eyed raven or, well, the three eyed crow in the book. And it seems like he's gearing up to be something super bad. So, what they kind of did, right, is you have the Knight's King, which is N-I-G-H-T apostrophe S King, right? So he's almost he's like the Knight's Watch King. He was the 13th Lord Commander of the Knight's Watch. And what ends up happening is that he sort of falls in love with a character named... Um, uh, well, hold on. Let me. I always, I always get this mixed up because you start using the word Nisa, Nisa. He, uh, he falls in love with an other, essentially, <laughs> and and then he has to be put down, which is what ultimately ha happens. He takes the he takes the Night's Watch down an incredibly dark, dark path. So, according to legend, he lives during the Age of Heroes, not long after the Wall was complete, which is interesting. So he is the Night's he's the Night's com Watch commander. The wall has been complete. So he's it's not like this is before the wall and he falls in love with perhaps an other right before the wall is built. He does it after, which is even more kind of interesting. Yeah. While he's serving as the 13th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, he falls in love with a white skinned woman and he gave his seed to her and gave his soul as well. The Night's King brought her back to the Night Fort uh, and after an unholy union, he declared himself king and her his queen. He ruled there and built his own castle for 13 years with his corpse queen at his side. During the dark years of his reign, horrific atrocities were committed, all of which are still told in the north. It was not until Brandon the Breaker, the King of Winter, and Joramon, the King Beyond the Wall, joined forces that the Night's King was brought down and the Night's Watch freed. After his fall, it was discovered that the Night's King had been making sacrifices to the others. All records of him were destroyed and his very name was forbidden and forgotten. It is likely this led the Lords of the North to forbid the Night's Watch to construct walls at their keep, ensuring their keeps would always be accessible from the South. So there's a lot of theories about this character. Um, the first is sort of, uh, you know, the Night's King and the Great Other both have 13 letters. He was the 13th Lord Commander and he ruled for 13 years. Uh, in Game of Thrones, you know, it's a totally... they do a big spin on the character where he is a uh, character. And some people believe that there's sort of connections to say Azora high and Relore, right. And that, um, you know, Nisa, Nisa, this character that's supposed to get stabbed by the sword. And then that becomes this flaming sword. And then that's what was used to defeat the, the long night. We don't even know if they defeated, say a lead white Walker, right. Yeah. Back, back in the day. So a lot of the stuff, a lot of the theories get blended and lost. And a lot of these theories actually get sort of built up surrounding events that are just sort of perhaps that events like this. Yeah. And uh, there is no, I would say that there is nothing pointing. If, if the show did not exist, there'd be nothing pointing 
to the fact that the others needed a leader. A leader. There would be no reason to believe there, there would be a head of the White Walkers. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that really they don't do much. You know, we get the prologue of Game of Thrones and it's chilling and it's scary. It's one of my favorite prologues of all time. But the movement of the White Walkers and the others is pretty sparing throughout the series. Yeah. Um, and I think that people have taken a lot from the show and they have blended it and that's fine. Um, we don't know exactly every detail that George has given Dan and Dave. I, I, I actually don't believe that it will be a night King. Um, I do believe Euron could be the Harbor. Like he, he could, he could bring the apocalypse to Westeros and Essos. Uh, but I don't think it'll be as obvious as something with, um, you know, blue eyes and white skin. I, I don't see that. Personally, I, I, I don't think um, maybe more figuratively, he could be the leader of the uh, others because he accidentally brings the wall down or purposely brings the wall down. But I don't think it'll be necessarily him at the front uh, battling John with the sword. But who knows? Maybe the Night's King is the night. You know what I mean? Maybe he comes back. Maybe there's some sort of right. You know, I, I, I don't know. I <laughs> we don't know. But. I do think this is one of the more fascinating tales that we get in a song of ice and fire. And just to be fair to the maesters, they believe that this is all hogwash and uh, that they believe that the corpse queen was actually a daughter of the Barrow King at the time who had done a ton of burials and rituals, but was not actually supernatural nor a white. So there is the kind of fire and blood interpretation where like, it was it this bad. Like, was he sacrificing people to the others? We don't know. Right. Yeah. It's one of the things where, and this is what I love about a lot of theories, even some of the more outlandish ones in a song of ice and fire is sometimes you begin to sort of look at some of these theories and say, well, there's just no way that could make sense. But then <laughs> you sort of look at pieces of it and you're like, okay, well, actually, I don't know. This lines up with this. This lines up with this. This isn't really that crazy. Like take the theory of, take the theory of Bruce Bolton is undead. Yeah. Okay. So there's a there's a theory about Roose Bolton and that he's actually a not necessarily a vampire, but I guess that's kind of the easiest way to sort of describe it mm -hmm. is that Roose Bolton is actually doing all of this blood magic uh, to prolong his life. And what he's doing is he's having sons and then he's sort of skinning his sons alive and then he's sort of like you know, taking their identity like a skin changer almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like he wears their skin and then he just continues to live and all these things. And you're sort of thinking, well, that's like ridiculous. There's, you know, there's nothing. But then it's like, well, not really. One, their sigil is the flayed man. Two, we already have an entire group of super assassins who literally cut the faces off people yeah. and use the magic. And so then you're like, okay, well, you know what I mean? So it's not that outlandish. So here, what you have is you have a lot of things that sort of get blended, messed up, and there are some truths to this, right? So it seems pretty obvious that there definitely was a 13th Lord Commander, regardless of whether or not Mm -hmm. His name has been stricken or, or whatever, because old Dan tells it. And then some other people tell it as well. So that definitely happened. Was his wife an other? Well, if you listen to the description of her, she has old Dan describes her as a woman. The woman was his downfall. A woman glimpsed from atop the wall with skin as white as the moon and eyes like blue stars. Uh, feared nothing. He chased her and caught her and he and loved her. Though her skin was as cold as ice, and when he gave his seed to her, he gave his soul as well. He brought her back to the night for and proclaimed her a queen and himself her king. And with strange sorceries, he bound his, sor his sworn brothers to his will. So if you look at kind of what we see in Game of Thrones, the show, right? Oh, the Night King can sort of turn people and bound them to his will. But it's also possible that you're in the north, so she's just a wildling. She's on top of the wall, which would make her Eve look even more pale. Uh, and you can say eyes like blue stars, but how could you even tell from, you know, looking <laughs> up at the, at the wall? Right. But it's just sort of those things. And then like perhaps the sorcery that we begin to think it's an uh, it's another. It's the only reference at all we have of any character being a perhaps female other. We've yet to see anything, anything like that. Yeah. 
and another interesting thing is that saying that there may have been sacrifices to the others and obviously craster is keeping yeah. that alive so and and one thing that i i, I kind of want to argue with myself a little bit because i i kind of brought up the other side of this right like like what if it is a lot more human than it seems but to be fair like when it comes to the supernatural elements of a song of ice and fire in the books, they're a lot more relevant, I think, than it is in the show. And I think the books do a much better job actually with a lot of the fantastical elements. Uh, the show has leaned away and went more towards the human side. And I think with house of the dragon, that makes a ton of sense because it is really about humans at the end of the day. Um, but with the age of legends, you know, that is when magic was there. It was in the world and a song of ice and fire was written in the fact that magic had died, but it had came back and the signs of the comet flying overhead and the dragons being born and, and all of these things, right. And the three eyed crow coming to Bran. So it is almost like, you know, the age of legends, any of this is truly possible. Like this absolutely could have happened. And I do think that there's a better chance of like the magic being the real story when it comes to uh, the older stuff, when it comes to like, age of legends. So uh, th that's, that's like one of the more fun things about the books is that they, they are more fantastical. Yeah. Well, there's other things too, you know, it's like, it's just, it's one of the things, and this is what makes it so interesting really for me is who's the, there's there's things that take place that we know happen right mm -hmm. so we know there is a green site which is you were able to have visions and see things and do that then you have perhaps dragon dreams right yeah and are those the same thing but because it's a targaryen we call it well they're dragon dreams mm -hmm. maybe maybe not and this is where the biggest sort of thing that keeps me more interested than anything in a song of ice and fire and what makes it to me that by far the most sort of compelling, just interesting series is the narrator. You have to look at the narrator right. of every single thing and begin to sort of compare and contrast because it's what ultimately causes these theories to have truths or be validated. Uh, there's really like a lot of you know the magic that we see, depending on who you see it through it causes you to kind of really put into question other people, but that's not to say that they aren't doing it. It's just, you're viewing it through this lens where you're like, well, that's not true. Right. Yeah. Or, or that is true. Or who's telling so, you the story. Exactly. Ex exactly. You know, is, mm -hmm. is the Raven or crow is the crow magic. I mean, he's clearly able to do something. He's I able mean, to communicate with brand and put himself in dreams and do stuff. And is that because, that's Brendan Rivers, who we know is a green seer, or is it because he's plugged into this weirwood tree and he can communicate with Bran? Is it because Bran is special, or is it because Blood Raven is special? You know, Good we question. don't know. These are great <laughs> questions, and one that I really like to ask. And I, I don't necessarily think that this is going to be a thing in A Song of Ice and Fire in the main series, but one one fun thing to do is to always ask, like the the words you're reading off of the page when you're reading the books, like. Who's writing those? And I don't mean George R. R. Martin, but I mean like in the story, right? Like who's to say the narrator of A Song of Ice and Fire isn't Blood Raven or the Three Eyed Crow or, or, or Sam Brian or Sam Samwell, right? Um, there's obviously some uh, suspension of belief um, when it comes to hearing the internal thoughts from a third person perspective. We obviously like hear Sansa and what she thinks. But it is one of those things where you look back at the whole thing. And you're like, well, who's telling me this story right now? Like, yes, we're in Sansa's perspective. We're in Arya's perspective. But who, who's telling me the story? And that can be played with by authors. I, I don't necessarily know if that's going to go uh, go anywhere with these books, but it could. And it would be a lot of it. That would change everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things I find really interesting um, is to go look up. And I'm sure you can do it on Reddit too, but I always I've I've always gone back and looked at the it's on the wiki, but it's a forum of ice and fire mm -hmm. to go look up some of the theories that existed before the show yes. sort of like changed it. Yes. And it's really interesting to see some of these theories, because a lot of the ones that are still the big theories today are only sort of like compounded upon by the last few seasons. And we don't really know, you know, exactly how much of that is true or not, mm -hmm. but like a lot of, there were still theories about like, is brand influencing things like is brand influencing is brand events brand the builder. in the past? Yeah. yeah. 
Exactly. So it's like really interesting to sort of go back and look at a lot of those things. And then that, that changes everything because how much of it yeah. is, you know, is Blood Raven or Bran cha influencing, changing any of these events? So. Yeah, and it's not a bad idea to do because uh, in the writing updates, you know, Georgia said like some things have changed it, even beyond like what Dan and Dave took liberties with whenever he told them some of the ending points. He's saying even from that point, things have changed and he's rewriting stuff. So uh, there's a lot of stuff on the table and there's a lot of threads open that he did on purpose that he could take either way. Um, the craziest one that I think is still possible, but I don't think it'll happen is, you know, Tyrion riding a dragon like he has all yeah. these dragon dreams in the books and he's constantly thinking about talking about burning the rock and uh, wanting to get back at his family so I'm a, I'm a pretty you know I, I said it wouldn't happen but I don't know I for me that's when I've latched on to I've latched on to the fact that I think that Tyrion will be a dragon rider but then you have to speculate well does he have Targaryen blood is that all hogwash anyways because remember, everything we know about dragon bonding and dragon riding comes from the history books that were written by maesters who are centuries removed from Valyria. And we're seeing in House of the Dragon that bonding doesn't work exactly how we thought, right? They don't actually have these the control over the dragons. And that is mentioned in the books. It's mentioned, uh, I believe, in the World of Ice and Fire, possibly even Fire and Blood, that anyone who claims to, under claims to understand how dragon bonding works is a fool. And we don't know. Maybe Tyrion... First Lannister ever ride a dragon in the books. That could be crazy. Yeah. Um. So real quick here, what do you? So what? Are, what are your thoughts on the on the the Knights King in the books? Well, I think it definitely was at least somewhat of an inspiration uh, for the Night King in the show. If anything, just being able to turn and have followers and stuff. Uh, there's a lot of stuff missing there, like Corpse Queen. Um. Yeah, probably one of the more interesting pieces of the uh, Age of uh, Legends, but. I don't know. Could like, I don't think George would bring someone back like that. Um, it feels like a little bit of a bridge too far, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Definitely one of the more interesting pieces of lore though. Yeah. Do you think that the woman he's with is another? No. You think it's just a story that's. Yeah. But like, on? you know, a big, a big question I have, and I think we've all had the, like this question is like, yeah, Craster's giving these kids to the others. Like, what are they doing with them? Like, obviously they're probably just turning them, but like, why kids? Like, why not other I mean, Probably because kids are more subservient. I'd probably just answer my own question, but I don't know. Like, could she be some sort of half breed, like half wildling, half other? How does that process even work? What's the ritual that goes down for that? Likely, though, it probably I think he's probably a terrible person and maybe was experimenting with some sort of sorcery. But I think it's probably not the case that she was another. You know, the only the only thing here is um, kind of interesting. Well. The White Walkers in the show, right, are like skeletons, essentially, mm -hmm. right? That's what sort of what they look like is they look like these like frost skeletons in the books. They're not, we don't really see them. Like you don't, we don't really get like all the descriptions we get of them are really sort of like vague. Well, the game of Thrones prologue is probably our best look at it. Right. Right. Um, so, I mean, some people describe it as, you know, the other said something in a language that will did not know his voice was the crackling of ice on a winter lake. Uh, and the words were mocking the uh, Eddard Stark describes it as the others are, as you know, he just says they're dead. A lot of people are like, they don't even exist. Melisandre uh, tries to describe it when she's talking to Stannis um, saying necromancy animates these whites yet they still only dead flesh. This is the whites steel and fire will serve them. The ones you call the others are something more. Uh, Stannis says demons made of snow and ice and cold an ancient enemy, the only enemy that matters. Yeah. But of course that's also, Melisandre talking about it, and we know she doesn't know what she's talking about at this point, right? Because <laughs> she's like, Sanus is the one. So, torment to Jon Snow, they're never far, you know, they won't come out by day, not when the su old sun's shining, but that doesn't mean they went away. Shadows never go away. Might be you don't see them, but they're always clinging to your heels. Mm, so, like, you know, we we don't really we don't really get like a, a good description of them yeah we just all, all we get is that they're like the one that uh waymar royce fights in the prologue is like 
he's an absolute boss. Yeah, another emerges from the woods, tall, gaunt, and white, dappled with a gray-green shimmer is how it's described in the prologue. And obviously they have a sword of the first other, which it seems like there's some sort of like hierarchy already that, that we're getting mm-hmm. told right here. And like in subcontext is made of inhuman inhumanly sharp, translucent crystal. And then obviously like the <laughs> also, I, by the way, I just love when Waymar screams for Robert right. <laughs> and goes and gets, uh, and gets and you know, gets a shard through the eye, unfortunately, and is blinded and then is stabbed to death by all of the others, which is very reminiscent, you know, of all the stabbing uh, in a circle is very reminiscent of John being stabbed by his brothers uh, in A Dance with Dragons. But uh, yeah, that, that's kind of it, right? They're white. That's really they're tall. They have crystal. They could, be, they could be more human like in the books than they are in the show. Yeah, and they have a language, and they're speaking it, and there's clearly more organization. Like they don't seem like mindless drones to me in the books. Right, I do still believe that there is a leader White Walker. So you maybe think that first other we see in the prologue is maybe. Oh, it doesn't have to be that person, but I do think that there is like essentially a Night King like person that's not to say that they won't be controlled by Euron or that Euron just has something to do with the ultimate end game yeah um i've come up with this i've talked about i've talked about this in the podcast a lot but I, i've never really talked about it i don't think you and i've really talked about it is i'm a big believer in this idea that what i think what i kind of think is going to happen is i think that the horn that sam has Mm-hmm. Uh, which a lot of people think might be the horn of winter and then dragon binder, the horn that Euron has or thinks he has is I think that they're opposite. Hmm. And so I think that Euron is going to blow the horn. He thinks is dragon binder to, to go take on Daenerys's thing, Daenerys's dragons and like the wall is going to come down or he's going to realize he has something more powerful yeah, maybe, maybe somehow whether he M to him, right? Whether he has to go to Westeros or whatever, I just I feel I think that yeah. would make it more interesting. Well, the horn just... is the horn is on the cover. The horn. Well, that is a, that is a fan made cover though. I didn't know that. But that's not an oh, official. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know this. That's not an official cover. That was a fan art thing. And George, even just... George has it. On he just website. shares it because he doesn't have a cover. Oh, okay. Which I think is like pretty funny. Like I still feel like that's gonna be the thing. Well, I do think the horns are going to be important. And I think it could be even something as simple as like you're on, you know, let's say he blows the horn, brings down the wall and he's just like, oh, a great reset. I could be a because he must be a god like in the book. It is and not like the cheesy stuff in the show where he's like, I killed Jamie Lannister, you know, like or anything like that. Like he genuinely is insane (laughs) and believes he's a god. And also, by the way, one of the cooler things about him in the books is the fact that his propaganda and his Valyrian armor that he got supposedly from a shy and all this stuff is or I'm sorry, from Valyria is it's influencing people. He's actually gaining followers. People are afraid of him. He is kind of brought together the iron islands uh, like no one else yeah. has in many, 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 many years. So he's very powerful and influential. So could he see this as an opportunity to topple the existing regime and then for him to take over? And then, so not so much leading them as like aiding them in the destruction of like society in Westeros. I think that that is like very likely. I, I, I think he will be an agent of chaos to the most extreme extents where it's going to be apocalyptic. The, the, where I break with the Night King having to exist in the book is that the mediums of television and, and books are, um, you know, similar in many ways, but they're also different in a lot of ways. And I believe that the Night King is a very Hollywood thing. It's a very like, you know, we need a an enemy for Thor or whoever the superhero might be and a figurehead for that also gives you a nice, neat way of killing off millions of others by just killing one person. Like there's definitely that aspect to it that could work in the books. But the thing that kind of makes me a little bit more reserved in believing a night King could exist in a book, like a true figurehead is that we would never get that perspective. I don't think you would at least, um, and without that perspective, that means we would only ever see the Night King through someone else's eyes. And without being able to flesh that out, unless if Euron is like going to go hang out with them, which I don't 
I don't know if he would. I, I, I don't know how you would make that work. We wouldn't be able to get a lot of that backstory and we wouldn't be able to get a lot of like how this came to be. Well, I think there is one. I think there is a character you can use. And who, who do you, who do you I think? I think it's gonna be the same character they used in the show. I think you use Bran. Okay. Well, and that is a good point because Bran obviously is a vehicle to break third person limited right. and break balance of time. So and, he's actually a really good mechanism to do that. So that could be. And, and Bran also could be connected to him right yes uh because there's a lot of weird stuff going on in that cave and we don't know we don't know perhaps that bran is not actually unbeknownst to him an agent of yeah the white walkers now what's real what's really interesting is the show sort of turns them into these like mindless kind of zombie like yeah. things in a way even the white walkers themselves and it seems like for years they just sort of hung out up there because there was the wall and they couldn't get past it uh, and a lot of people say, well, the reason it seems like maybe we begin seeing them more is in during Game of Thrones is because magic is coming back and yeah. they were perhaps fearful of the Targaryens because of, you know, the dragons in the books, though, that just doesn't seem to be the case to me. It seems like they they're a lot smarter. They're a lot more intelligent. And for whatever reason, they whether they're just bound magically to the wall like they can't come past this they don't even try but i just feel like they would put up way more of an effort and they could easily just go decimate all of the uh the wildlings if they wanted yeah i think so, so. i think there's like a reason they don't go east yeah, that is interesting, right? And and Essos has always kind of like tripped me up a little bit on all of this because like yeah, the wall right. comes down, they take well, you know what I mean? So it, and it, by east by east I mean you have the land of always winter, which on yes. the map is west in Westeros, which is where the others white walkers are supposed to hang out, but they could easily just march east and go take out all of the wildlings like in a day. Yeah. And they don't. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this, and this is kind of reaching beyond what we have for the text of this show or in, in book series is George R. R. Martin was largely influenced. I mean, by many authors, Jack Vance, Roger Zelazny, Tolkien, clearly. But one of the mainstays and someone he drew direct inspiration from is from Tad Williams, who did Memories Are Unthorn. And the White Walkers seem to have some sort of relation to what in that series is called the Sithi. And the Sithi are people who land that live far north, right? They're far, far, far north. And they're like an ancient, very spooky type race. They're actually immortal unless they choose to end their lives or they're slain. That's the only way. And they also have a weakness to iron, which kind of makes you think of the others in Dragonglass. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of like relation to those, um, to those two things and two ideas. And if he were to use a lot more of the inspiration that he got from the Sithi from Ostenard, then I would say that it is likely that there is a much more dense description and information piece that we're missing from the others. Like the others might get really fleshed out in the winds of winter mm -hmm. through Bran. And we might find out about a history, a lineage there. There could be a night King. There might be a night queen there. There could be a lineage and all of that stuff. And the Sithi are very much mysterious in memory, sorrow and thorn. And then you learn more and more about them in the past. And you even find out that, you know, not, you know, there might be one bad, one good. So there's also the uh, matter of morality within them. So the others seem to be way more like one dimensional in, in, a, in a manner, right? Like they are coming, they are killing, but who knows? Like, we don't know what the others look like and also where they've dwelt and how someone ascends to becoming the first other, which in the books, I do believe the other from uh, the prologue is actually referred to as the first other. Right which does give us a sense of hierarchy. So how does that happen? Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, we don't even necessarily know that the children in, created them in the books. Yes. And when dead and when dead people are being risen, do they carry any of the traits that they had whenever they were human? You know, whenever we should we should do we should do a um we should do we could do a patreon thing on it that'd be fun we should go over we should read i know we we want it we're gonna get into rise of dragon 2 um but we should do a little bit of the first few chapters of world of ice empire just because it goes over like valyria and kind of like what's going on and all that that'd be oh yeah i'm be down fun. 
Yeah, that would definitely that would, that would be fun. We I'd should be do down that. for a read through a World of Ice and Fire. I I you, I don't think you can read that book enough. <laughs> to be honest, yeah. it's so and it's, and to be fair and to be fair, the second half of it is Fire and Blood. Uh, so it's I mean it's once you hit the Targaryens, it's the same information. There's so. something for everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, well, thank you so much. Uh, I think it was Lori for sending us that Raven. That was definitely a fun uh, deep dive down all of uh, that stuff. And so I think I'm going to have this episode up later this week. So we will have already done our Patreon hangout. So for anybody who joined that, I was hoping, you know, we haven't done it yet, but I can already imagine it was, it was a good bit of fun. And uh, if you guys want to check that out, go check us out on Patreon and check out extra content over on Apple Premium. We're about to do a show watchers guide to the books which is something we as and i did during season eight now jimmy and i can dive into a house of the dragon so if you're new to maybe maybe you started with house of the dragon or maybe you've only watched the show and you're wondering you know what's going on some of that stuff that's kind of where we just a beginner's an introduction course to westeros so we look at some of the things going on to help you uh help you understand exactly what's going on so yeah a lot of fun there so as always thank you guys for sending us raven you can do so at btkcast at gmail.com or you can just set up on youtube tiktok any of those places always having fun over there as always thank you for watching thank you for listening and remember that winter is coming 